Grab our Bibles out. We're in 1 Peter chapter number 3 as we're continuing our series here through this book of Scripture. As we're looking at this book of Scripture, we're seeing that Peter is writing uh, really to a group of people who are scattered, who are strangers in their land, who are pilgrims going through a strange land because they've given their lives to Jesus. And now all that they've known, all of their social structures, their families, their communities, their uh, employers, they're, they're, they're running into friction now with these people because they're not living the same life anymore. They're living a new life in Jesus. And so really, Peter is writing to us today. He's writing to us as those who have professed faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have the Spirit of God in them. As our lives are being transformed, we no longer fit into this world in the same way. We're no longer at, no longer at home in this world. We're no longer in love with this world. But we have a new home. We have a new love. We've set our affection on things above, not on things on earth. And so there's friction that we encounter in our world as believers as we live every day. And Peter is instructing and encouraging and giving us truth so that we know how to live and how to navigate while we are still here in this world. Now today, we're going to be discussing here in 1 Peter chapter number 3, provoked but prepared. Provoked but prepared. Peter's going to help those to understand that while the world provokes them, while the world pokes at them, while the world seeks to destroy them, he teaches us how we can be prepared to respond. So as we read through this passage, let's start to connect with these truths. And if you found your place there in 1 Peter 3, we're going to begin reading with verse number 8. If you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Peter 3, we'll begin here in verse number 8. Finally, how many of you know when a preacher says finally, he's, he's, he's lying? a little bit more to go, and, and Peter's going to share more information. We won't be done even today with it, but he says, finally, he gives us hope, okay? You know, he's bringing some thoughts to a conclusion here so that we can benefit from them. He says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, 
but which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, wherein to even baptism, doth also now save, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So I know there's a lot in this passage of scripture. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help us understand these truths and apply these truths to our lives. And I believe when we walk away today, if we'll pay attention, God will help us know how to be prepared when we're provoked in this world. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful that you give us such wonderful, clear instruction from your word and that it speaks to every person living in every stage of life. We understand and know that we live in a world that is against you. And because it's against you, it's against your people. And, and we know that it's frustrating. And, and many times the things that we come against, Lord, are perplexing and discouraging. And many times it's easy and, and, and maybe even uh, prevalent for us to respond in the flesh. But Lord, we want to respond in your spirit. We want to be prepared when we're provoked. So God, give us a heart that's teachable today. And give us a heart that's guided by your spirit unto your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You'll remember with me as we've been looking through this book of scripture that when we started near the beginning of our study, Peter reminded those who he was writing to that they were on trial. That they were on trial. He wrote to them and he said, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. And what he was saying is he's saying, you claim that you're saved. To other people, you are declaring that the spirit of God now lives in you. And now because of your proclamation, you are being tried. Your faith is on trial. And he's telling these believers, these strangers who are scattered, who are pilgrims, who are struggling, he's saying there is a pressure that is going to be placed upon you by this world and by your enemy Satan, and when that pressure is applied, there will be a trial of your faith. Because when pressure is applied to something, what is truly on the inside begins to surface and come to the outside. How many of you have ever... How many of you have ever juiced fruit before? Isn't that great? You know, you buy this wonderful piece of fruit and you get that juice press and you cut open that orange or you cut open that grapefruit and you put that half, half of that grapefruit or orange on that juice press and you pull that lever down. And if you're like me, you want to get every drop of that juice out of there, you know? So you're putting down the pressure on that thing and that juice is just flowing. And by the time you pull that, that piece of fruit up off that juice press, the only thing that's left is rind because everything that was on the inside came to the outside. And that's what's happening to us as believers in this lost and sinful and broken and dying world. Is that as Christians, we are under pressure. And the intention is that not that we suffer or struggle, though that's inherent in it. 
But God has a plan even for that pressure that what is on the inside would come to the outside. That when we as believers are under pressure, they wouldn't see our anger and they wouldn't see our vitriol and they wouldn't see our despair and discouragement and demise, but that they would see the power of the resurrected Savior in your life and in my life. Because the Bible says this, and I'm so glad for it, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So when the pressure, when the pressure is applied, what is it that actually comes out of our life? And he's telling these Christians, you are on trial. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched a good legal drama or maybe seen a trial depicted in a movie before. But there's always this point in the narrative where the trial is coming to a conclusion. And everything is ramping up towards this point. And they many times will call a particular witness to the stand when they're trying to close out their case. And this last and final witness that they call to the stand is many times referred to as a hostile witness. And the reason it's referred to as a hostile witness is because now the questioning is going to change from fact-finding to starting to accuse and to place blame. And so the lawyer changes his demeanor and the lawyer changes his questioning. And now the lawyer begins to provoke that witness, hoping that that witness will slip up and perhaps share information that would lead to their demise. And so the questions come. And you watch in that movie or in that show as the witness starts to become flustered and starts to become irritated by the questioning. And before you know it, blah! Everything that they didn't want to come out comes out. And they're calling for the bailiff and they're calling for the police officers and they're arrested and drug off to their prison in shame, you know. And in many ways, that is what is happening to us as believers in this world. The world is hostile to the cause of Christ. And as we endeavor to live in this world for the Lord Jesus, they send things our way that would provoke us trying to bring out of us something that is not praiseworthy, something that is not very comely, something that is fleshly, something that more represents the world than represents Jesus because they ultimately don't want to tear you and me down. They want to tear our Jesus down. So Peter's reminding them, under this pressure, you are on trial. So how should we be prepared to respond when we are under pressure. We're going to learn that this morning from this passage. Provoked, but prepared. Are you prepared this morning? Are you prepared for the pressure that's coming your way tomorrow and this week and next week? Well, let's learn how we can be. First of all, we need to be prepared in our mind. We need to be prepared in our mind. A bulk of the spiritual battles that you and I will face will occur and be won or lost in our minds. The Bible speaks a lot about the situation of our minds and where our minds need to be and how our minds need to be focused on Christ. Notice what Peter says about this in verse number 8 of 1 Peter chapter number 3. Finally, be ye all of one mind 
having compassion one of another, love his brother and be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So Peter is saying, you know, be single in mind. When you come together as God's people, when you're going out into this world as God's people, be of one mind, be of the mind of Christ, have your mind focused, have it trained, have it under the peace of God, be able to reason and think in the wisdom of God, be able to treat one another with proper love and proper respect. Don't let the world taint your mind. Don't let it reshape your mind. Don't let it goad and aggravate and challenge your mind. Keep your mind pure. Keep it ready. Make sure your mind is putting you in a position where you're reflecting the goodness and the light and the wisdom of our great God. Be of one mind. And Peter is challenging these believers that are under pressure, that are on trial for their faith, Uh, Listen, the world and the devil is going to want to attack your thoughts. He's going to want to make you critical. He's going to want to make you bitter. He's going to want to make you think evil of your brothers and sisters. He wants you constantly to be at war with everyone. He wants your mind to be polluted. He doesn't want you to have peace. So he says, be of one mind and keep it on the things of God. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number four gives us a wonderful filter for our mind. He says, finally, my brethren, what's another preacher who says finally, but keeps going on, right? Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And how many of you know a lot of us could use a good purging of our minds today? Just a flush, you know, just getting rid of the garbage that that our minds collect as we live out in this world from week to week to week. Notice some other verses in Scripture that speak to the state of our mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, the verses on the screen. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a what? And of a what, church? A sound mind. You know, our mind shouldn't be overwhelmed and overcome with worry and frustration and fretting and fear. That doesn't come from the Spirit of God. Now, understand that there will always be things in our world that we need to look out for and be wise concerning. There will always be persecutions and plagues and illnesses and, and enemies, and we need to be wise. The Bible tells us that Jesus even told his disciples to be wise as serpents and, and to be harmless as doves. But in the In the prospect of being wise, let's not allow our mind to go so to the degree that we no longer trust God, that we no longer live for God, but we just shut ourselves up in our own world of fear, never going out and being the witnesses that God has called us to be, never ministering to other people, never around other people, never functioning in society as God, by the way, has called us to do in these last days. Someone get at least as excited as I am this morning. But what we find is we find a bunch of people in our day and age, a bunch of Christians in our day and age that are so fearful about this thing and that thing and finances and health and this and that. How many of you believe that the same God that took care of Abraham can take care of you and me? How many of you still believe that the same God who took care of Daniel in the lion's den can take care of you and me in the dens we face today? How many of you still believe that the same God 
who took care of Joseph in the pit and in the prison can take care of us in the circumstances that we're in today. And so we need to operate in a mind that is really singled out on a focus on our God and isn't just hijacked by all the fear and all of the fretting and all of the other focuses that in our world today. We need to stand up and say, I trust God and I trust his leading in my life and I trust his protection over my life and I will not live with my life, my mind polluted by fear. Notice what else the Bible says about our minds. Uh, Isaiah 26 and verse number three. I love this passage of scripture. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. How many of you are glad for the peace of God in our lives? And that takes place in our mind as we get into his word and we see who he is and we place our trust and our attention and our focus on him instead of everything else that's going on around us. You'll remember Paul as Jesus was walking, I'm sorry, Peter, as Jesus was walking out to him on the water, this same Peter who wrote uh, the, the book of Peter that we are studying right now, he was in that boat and as Jesus walked out on the water, Peter got out of the boat and began to walk to Jesus. And guess what? He was doing just fine until his mind got distracted. And as he looked at those waves, instead of keeping his mind centered on Jesus, and when he took his mind off of Jesus, he began to sink. But how many of you are glad, even if we're sinking right now, even if our minds aren't where they ought to be right now, how many of you are glad we can do just like Peter did and reach our arms up and say, Jesus, grab me. Amen. Jesus, save me. Hey, are you like that right now, Christian? Instead of having your mind focused on the goodness and on the greatness and on the power of God, are your minds filled with fear and doubt and worry and frustration? Hey, if you're sinking in that, maybe today, even before you leave, you'll shout out to God and you'll say, God, I'm sinking over here. Will you help me? How many of you know he'll respond to a prayer like that? He'll come and find you right where you're at and he'll reach down and he'll grab you and he'll pull you out of that sinking spot and he'll put you on a firm foundation, his truth, his word, and his spirit. We need to understand this morning that our mind needs to be in the right place. Notice what the Bible continues to tell us in Philippians 4. Notice with me as we begin reading with verse number 6. Be careful or, or don't worry for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And notice this. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your what? What does that say together, church? Keep your hearts and what? He'll keep your minds through Jesus Christ. Hey, some of us feel like we're losing our minds. Everything that's going on in this world, how can this be happening and how can that be happening and, and what's going on and I'm so confused and I'm losing my mind. Many people are saying that today. But as a believer, I want you to know you don't have to lose your mind. You can have your mind kept by the truth and the comfort and the spirit of God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you losing your mind? Because when we start to lose our mind, we start to lose our mind on everything and everyone that's around us. And that's why in our text passage here in 1 Peter chapter number 3, he shows us what happens if our mind isn't in the right place. Notice with me again verse number 8 of 1 Peter 3. He says we're to be of one mind. Why? So that we can have compassion for one another. So that we can love one another. So that we can empathize or be pitiful with one another. So that we can even be courteous to each other. How many of you know in this world where the world is losing their mind, we have a lot of violence and a lot of rioting and a lot of nastiness and a lot of conflict? 
We have people who don't even know how to be courteous to each other anymore. You have people who are afraid to talk and get into conversations even with their own loved ones because nobody's in their right mind right now. I think it would do the world good for Christians to just live in the mind of Christ because we would stand out as people who actually have peace, who actually have it together, who actually have answers, who actually are moving forward with their lives. And and I believe people around us would see the light of Jesus in us if we would just allow Christ to keep our minds. And I believe this, I believe what the Bible says, he can give us a peace that passes all understanding. And this world where, I mean, I read three articles yesterday where China fired some nuclear device and it circumvented the whole globe and then landed in a precision point wherever they wanted it to. And I'm learning about the stuff that's going on with trade and finances and inflation and all of this. And how many of you know there's more than enough to keep us awake at night? There's more than enough to keep us stewing about this or that or the other thing. You visit the doctor, they put you through a bunch of tests, you're waiting 14 days to get results back on certain tests, and you've got a pain here and you've got a pain there, and it's hard to have peace. How many of you know there's a lot of things that make it difficult to have peace in our flesh? But aren't you glad this morning that God offers us a peace that passes all understanding where we don't have to lose our minds, but we can keep our minds on Jesus? We can keep our minds on Jesus. Don't lose your mind. Keep it on Jesus. We see that if we are going to have a Christian life that is prepared when it's provoked, we need to keep our minds. We need to be prepared in our minds. Secondly, we need to be prepared in our answer. We need to be prepared in our answer. Notice as we continue to read on, let's drop down just for a moment for sake of time to verse number 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience... That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So you're going to suffer, Peter says. You're going to suffer. You're a believer that's living in a lost, sinful, broken world. You're going to encounter friction when you walk out your door in the morning, when you're coming home at night. You're going to interact with people who do not see life the way that you see it because they do not have the life of Jesus in them. And so you will suffer. You will suffer persecution. But in your suffering of persecution, be prepared for an answer to give them of the hope that's still in you. And so we need to be prepared for that. And I see us, and and this, I think, is a good message for us today. It's a good message for believers today. Because while we are having to give an answer for a lot of things, there are things right now, Christians are researching this out, researching that out. Should I take this? Should I not take this? Should I act on this? Should I not act on this? Is what this scientist is saying true? Is that what that scientist is saying is true? And we're reading this, and we're preparing for that, and we're filling out exemptions, and we're doing this, that, and the other thing. Good, great protect your rights, do all those things that we can do as Americans, but don't make it the major priority where you're forgetting about how to give an answer of the faith that's in you. Well, if somebody comes to me about this, I've got this answer for them. 
And if somebody uh, comes to me about this, I've got this answer for them. If somebody comes about this, I know the Constitution, I've got this answer for them. And if somebody comes to me about that, I've got this answer for them. And we've got an answer for everything. But what I've learned is what Christians are really poor at. Is when they're under pressure and Jesus is supposed to come out, that everything but Jesus comes out. That we've got an answer for everything under the sun. But when we're put in a wonderful position to be able to tell people why there's a hope in me, not why I'm angry at the government, not why I'm angry at this thing, not why I'm going to blast this thing, not why I'm going to take over this thing, not why I'm going to kick this door down or do that, fine. But what about the peace that's in you? And when's the last time you've had a conversation with someone about Jesus? And when's the last time you talked to somebody about their soul that's lost and dying and going to hell and you've shown them the Savior so that they can be saved and resurrected in newness of life and go to heaven? I'm just simply saying this morning that the answers of the world will never be enough, but the answer of Christ is always enough. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And He is the answer that we should be giving to people. He's the answer we should be focusing on. Oh, I know a lot of people today that know their rights. And I know a lot of people today who've memorized the Constitution. I know a lot of people today who know this, that, and the other thing. But do you know how to tell somebody about your Savior? And if that's the dearest thing to Jesus' heart, shouldn't it be the dearest thing to our heart? Because we may even save our country. And how many of you pray for our country every day like I do? How many of you would battle tooth and nail to preserve our freedoms like I would? How many of you would stand up in whatever halls of justice you needed to stand up of and give an account and an answer for why we have the freedoms we have just like I would? But why can't we stand in our front lawn with our neighbor that's next to us and tell him of the answer of the hope that's in us? When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? When's the last time you gave somebody the gospel? When's the last time you even handed somebody a gospel tract or invited them to church personally? When's the last time you told them about a God who loved you so much that he left heaven's glory to come and to be mocked and to bruised and beaten and to suffer greatly on a cross and to die and to give his life for you so that you can go to heaven? When's the last time that you stood up and told somebody about that? Because I'll tell you something, when we stand before Jesus in heaven, I don't think we're going to give too much of an account of how much of the Constitution we learned. I don't think we're going to give too much of an account of how many arguments that we've won politically. But I think what we will give an account of is how we stewardship the gospel and how faithful we were at giving people the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And are we being faithful to do that? Yes, do the other. Great, wonderful, be a patriot. But love Jesus more than you love anything else. And talk about him more than you talk about anything else. The hope of the world has never been a government. The government is on his shoulders, the Bible says. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of peace. Be prepared for an answer. Be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you. What comes out of you when the pressure's on? What comes out of you when your faith is being tried? Does anything about Jesus come out? And let me just say this. I'm not going to continue to drag this out too much longer. 
saying, God bless America, though I believe that saying, I love that saying, I, I, I love the song, I sing the song, God bless America is not a gospel presentation. Saying God bless America to someone is not a gospel presentation. A gospel presentation is telling somebody about the fact that they're a sinner and telling somebody about the fact that there's a Savior and sharing specifically with them what Jesus did to to redeem us from our sins and calling that person to repentance and calling that person to know the Lord. Well, I can't do that. Hey, listen, I've, I've heard from a bunch of people all over the country who've saturated my email with all kinds of things that they've studied, all kinds of things that they've learned. They've become so eloquent in things they never knew about one year ago. And I mean, they are fluent and they can defend their point and they are persuasive and they're out to turn people's minds and hearts towards their position on either side of whatever equation you want to talk about. But then we sit back and we say, well, I just don't know how to share my faith. I just, I'm not really gifted in that. You could be if you wanted to be. You could be if you wanted to be. As in fire as you are for all the other things you want to talk with people about, you could be that on fire for Jesus and that on fire for his gospel, and you could share your faith just as expertly as you can some of the other things that we've researched and studied and ruminated over for the past year or two years. Are we prepared with an answer? This morning from our passage, we're learning that we're provoked, but we need to be prepared. When you're provoked, what comes out? When you're under pressure, what comes out? Lastly, this morning, we need to be prepared for victory. We need to be prepared for victory. I love this. Notice the last part of our passage here, starting with verse 18. For Christ, who hath once suffered. So he suffered too. Hey, if you're suffering today, Jesus knows you're suffering. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've gotten bad health news. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe all kinds of manners of things have happened to you. You know what helps me to be able to connect with God during those times is that he's gone through every pain we've gone through. He's been abandoned. He's been beaten. He's been betrayed. We're learning about the sufferings of Jesus on Sunday night. I think if you're not coming on Sunday night, you should come on Sunday night because if you're not suffering right now, you will be suffering someday. And I'll tell you, it makes it a whole lot easier when you can connect to the purpose and meaning and calling of that suffering with Jesus. But Jesus suffered, but he didn't stay suffering. He didn't stay dead. I love this. At the end, he was quickened by the Spirit. Made alive. And by the way, how many of you are glad if you're a believer today that death does not have the final say in our lives? Suffering does not have the final say in our lives. Difficulty does not have the final say in our lives. One day we will experience the ultimate victory in God when our dead bodies are raised up to be made like unto his glorious body. He will appear. We will see him face to face. We will be like him for we'll see him as he is. And this old broken down, popping, creaking, nasty body will smell real good. There are no perfume shops in heaven. How many of you are glad about that? Which means there are no perfume commercials in heaven. How many of you are equally glad about that? Because there's not been a one of those that's ever been made that anybody understands. No need for doctors. We have the great physician. No need for light. He is the light. No need for food. He's the bread of life. But he's going to let us eat anyway, and I think that's really cool. Because I like eating. 
No need for any of the things that we have here on earth because he is our all in all and we will experience great victory and we need to be prepared for that instead of being so glum and down and in the mouth and dreadful and the world's falling apart and woe is me and the sky is falling. The sky's not falling to Jesus. The sky's exactly where he wants it to be. Everything's exactly where he ordained it to be. Everything is in complete control with my Savior, and he tells me I win. Not because I'm anything special, but because he is victory, and he is in me, and we are more than conquerors through him who have called us. And what a blessing that is. And so we need to be prepared for victory. You wouldn't know that talking with a lot of Christians today. You think they're prepared. I mean, they're just so, man, is this the... Is this the end? And they get shocked when I say, I hope so. Because I know how it ends. I know where I'm going. Christian, you have victory. Is the world falling apart? Yes. But guess what? He's going to make a new one. Yeah! Stop dragging around. Do you know what bill they passed? Do you know who got elected? Do you know? Yeah! But my God's still on the throne. He's still the King of Kings, and He's still the Lord of Lords, and He's still up in heaven, and He's declaring, and He's working, and He's bringing all things to pass, and He will protect, and He will guard, and He will guide, and by God's grace, if I'm killed, or if I die, or if I succumb to this death, my life is only beginning, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I can't wait to see my Jesus. Amen. Be prepared for victory. Maybe our light would shine a little bit brighter if we'd be reminded we're on the winning side. Maybe our, sign, our, our, our face would be such a poor signboard for Jesus if we just remind ourselves once in a while that, that God is still at work. He's still in my life. He's promised me he'll never leave me or forsake me. He's promised that he'll supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Be prepared for victory. Jesus died, he suffered, but he rose from the dead. As he was in the tomb, his spirit was quickened. I can't get into the details and the nuance of these passages. One of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture to understand or know what the Apostle Peter was saying in these couple of verses, verses number 19 and verse number 20. But the idea behind it is that as he went down into Sheol, as he was leading captivity captive, that he preached to the spirits. It seems like there were spirits in hell that were locked up there because of some disobedience that had taken place in the post-Diluvian age before the flood, perhaps as there was some issues with these uh, satanic beings and, 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 and humanity, and so they are locked away. We know from the book of Revelation that there are demons in hell, spirits in hell that are locked away that will be released during the tribulation period. And anyway, as they're in hell and they learn that Jesus Christ has died, died and been killed, they're probably celebrating and they're having a big party and we're going to be out of here soon and we're going to control the whole world and we killed God. And Jesus went down there and said, no, you didn't, I'm still alive. No, you didn't. I'm alive, and I'm going to raise again. And I'm going to take all these people who believe in me, and I'm going to give them new life too. And how many of you know that put a quick end to their party down there? Why? Because he is victorious. Because he is victorious. Notice the utmost status of his victory. Verse number 22, who has gone into heaven 
and is on the right hand of God. Doesn't that give you chills right there? Our Jesus, who came, became man, died for our sins, he rose again, and now he's at the right hand of God making intercession for you and for me. He's at the right hand of God. And notice this, angels and authorities and powers, all these things that Peter's talked about, government, husbands, wives, anybody who's in a position of authority over us is ultimately under the authority of God. Because it says all of these things are under his submission. There's nothing in this world that has power over you that isn't under the authority of God. He's over all things. He is victorious. How many of you are glad our God always wins? And he can win in your life today if you'll let him. You know that we are our greatest enemy to God getting victory in our life. We battle against him. We fret when we should pray. We're fearful when we should be bold. We run away when we should run toward him. And in these days, we need to, when provoked, make sure that the right things are coming out of our life. When the squeeze is on, we need to make sure that that's the fresh juice of the Holy Spirit of God that's exuding from our life, pointing people to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we are provoked, but we can be prepared. We can be prepared in our mind. We can be prepared with an answer. We can be prepared for victory. Are you prepared today? Most of all, are you prepared to go to heaven to be with Jesus? Let's all stand this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around this morning. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm not prepared. I can't say for certainty that I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. In fact, Pastor, if I were to die today, if something was to take my life from me, I don't know for sure that I'd be with God in heaven. And I want you to know this morning that you can know that for sure. God loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, being God, into the world to take on human form to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And then he was buried and he rose again the third day so that we could have new life in him. And the Bible says if we'll merely call on him in faith, if we'll receive his gift of eternal life, that he will grant it to us, that he will save us, that he will indwell us with his spirit, that he will make us alive in him. Are you alive in him this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I won't come back to you, I won't embarrass you, I won't name your name. But this morning, if God has spoken to your heart, and, and you're, you're being convicted that you need his salvation, I'd like to pray that God would continue to work on your heart. So this morning, if you'd say, I'm not sure that I'm saved, would you raise your hand just real quickly, just real briefly? I see that hand. You may put it down. Anybody else this morning? I'm not sure that I'm saved. I see that hand. You may put it down. Anybody else this morning? I'm just not sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure if I died today that I'd be with God in heaven. Anybody else like that this morning? Well, this morning, I'm going to pray. And if you raised your hand, my prayer can't save you, but if from your heart, in faith, you will call out to God, he will hear you. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to pray, and if you'd like to, you can pray along with me, dear Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you loved me and that you came from heaven to earth and you died on a cross for my sin. You took my death on yourself. You took my sin on yourself. Lord, I repent of that sin and I ask you to, re to forgive me of my sin. I also believe that you rose from the dead 
and that you can give me new life. I ask for that new life. Fill me with your spirit and save me today. In Jesus' name, amen.